Get on your bike. Sit on the seat. Put your feet on the pedals. And ride it all around, ride it all around. No, get that car out of my way. I want to ride my bike today. Welcome to Bike Talk, our final show for the year of 2021. It's December 30th. We have our guests, Michael Schneider from Streets for All and Lindsay Sturman. My name is Don Ward. I'm a co-host of Bike Talk and we're doing a year in review. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we've got a little list of things for 2021 that that have been going on in regards to bikes and active transportation. And we're going to go through that and talk about it with you. You've been doing a lot of things this year. Let's dive in. Yeah. Where would you like to begin? I I made a long list of stuff that I thought were wins this year, fails, and then stuff we're still not sure about the outcome. Okay. Um, why don't you give us, give us your list and we'll, we'll talk about that. I wanted to talk, uh, at some point in the show about a couple things as well. Um, the move project in Culver city and the Colorado project were things that I was following. So, uh, those are on my list. Cool. So (laughs) let's just, let's just get, let's just get into it here. So do you want to, you guys want to start with the good news first or the bad news first? (laughs) bad news are you feeling optimistic or pessimistic let's get rid of the bad news what do you think don yeah let's get let's get rid of the bad news first uh get it out of the way yeah okay um i think we should start at the state level because there was a lot of activity that impacts biking and road safety at the state level this year um governor newsom he signed some good stuff and we'll get to that in the winds, but he really failed in a lot of ways in some of the bills he vetoed. Um, there's, there's five bills in particular, four of which were vetoed by the governor, one of which was held in Senate appropriations that are really just tragic. So the ones he vetoed, AB 1238, it was a bill that would have literally decriminalized walking or jaywalking, allowing people to cross the street. Um, jaywalking tickets are often used as a pretext to harass minorities, and they're really just ridiculous. It's prioritizing cars over people. He vetoed AB 1238. He also vetoed AB 122, which was the California safety stop, California's equivalent of the Idaho safety stop, or the Idaho stop, um, which would have allowed people on bikes to treat stop signs like yield signs. In other words, it would have aligned the law with the way everybody bikes anyway. And if every cyclist did a hard stop and start at every stop sign, it would actually be more dangerous for them. Uh, Cars do all sorts of things when they get impatient that are very dangerous for people. So those those two are really disappointing. He also vetoed AB 1147, which was Laura Friedman's bill to develop a regional transportation plan and force cities to coordinate with each other, which would have been fantastic. And he vetoed AB 339, which isn't directly a cycling bill, but it would have mandated Zoom as an option for public meetings in larger cities. The LA City Council was very against it. They don't like being told what to do by Sacramento. But having the option to participate in public meetings by Zoom is actually much more democratic. And when it comes to stuff like bike lanes, it allows people to participate from anyone. You could go on a coffee break or a lunch break from work and Zoom in. So... Those are really disappointing. And then AB 1401, 
which would have gotten rid of parking minimums within, I believe, a half mile of transit. Another Laura Friedman bill uh, that was killed in Senate appropriations by um, Senator Pornentino, who we've since met with and are trying to understand his concerns and address them. But really, really was disappointed about those five bills. Um, I have more on my list, but I don't know if you want to dive into any of that. Well, what about the the good news? I mean, I do want to hear about dive into why that all happened. But tell, tell can you tell us some of the good news? Yeah, let me quickly finish my bad news list. That was just the state stuff, and then I will dive into the good news promptly. I don't want to depress everybody. Um, the city of West Hollywood uh, tried to pedestrianize Robertson between Melrose and Santa Monica. They sort of created a plaza on Friday and Saturday nights. But they reversed it. Um, it wasn't really working. That was not great. Um, the Crenshaw Line Northern, I'm sorry, the Crenshaw Line um, altogether, not even the extension, uh, was originally supposed to be open at the end of 2019. And now the best case is mid-2022. Um, and that, of course, is the future rail line that's going to connect to the LAX people mover. So that's not great. Metro has publicly stated they've lost all confidence in their contractor. And there's sort of a dispute because the contractor wants more money and Metro doesn't want to pay more. Um, there was funding held for high-speed rail at the state level, which is very unfortunate. Um, I hope that gets resolved in 2022. It could start to impact the project next year if it's not released. And uh, two more things. Uh, permanent slow streets are still not implemented over a year after the city council allocating close to a million dollars to do it. Uh, there are only three, possibly four permanent slow street implementations across the entire city. There are dozens that are just waiting forever. And also the approach that LADOT has taken and the, uh, the interventions they're suggesting um, are really kind of weak. And so uh, we've been working with them and I hope that we get to a, a good place. And lastly, the city is still repaving streets and ignoring the mobility plan, um, sort of status quo. Uh, Sepulveda Boulevard got repaved near Bel Air. Of course, Paul Koretz didn't implement the bike lane. Um, the, the, the fallout from Uplift Melrose remains. Um, Paul Koretz's veto of that project. So we're still not following our own mobility plan and just creating car-centric roads. That is all of the bad news that I have on my list. I don't know if anyone wants to add any. <laughs> Do you know? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was, you know, I just was going to jump in really quick and ask a question of Michael. What you think? I mean, the, these are these are Democrats that are vetoing these uh, these uh, bills and, and projects, right? Mostly Democrats. And they kind of have taken up the mantle of climate change. And, uh, you know, it's like, how do you put more pressure on these folks? What, what do you think would ideally get them to change their ways? I mean, is it just phone calls or what, what are we talking about here? Like, why, why do they keep doing this? Well, I, I want to start by saying I don't think this is a partisan issue, or at least not in California. I mean, if you think about one of the greatest changes to an American city over the last 20 years, um, it's Mike Bloomberg 
who did he run as an independent or was he still a Republican in, in New York? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Might have been Republican, mm-hmm. actually. But but my point is, I don't think it's partisan. I think that mm-hmm. um, overall, and one of the reasons why I created Streets for All is politicians need to recognize two things. One, it's actually good politics to create safe streets and actually fight climate change, not just say it on paper. And also there are political consequences if they don't do the right thing and actually advance these causes and change our cities. And in the past, that hasn't been the case. How does a guy like Paul Koretz, um, how is he hailed as a a climate change person and environmentalist? Well, A, it's self-proclaimed, but he's also been endorsed by the Sierra Club for two elections. And, And so we need to he I don't believe someone like that could win in today's Los Angeles now that we have even year elections and the turnout is four to five X what it used to be. I think that is a game changer. And I think that people politicians just need to they want to win elections. They need to realize that there are consequences to fighting against this stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah, and tell and what about COVID and how it's changed our perspective on streets? I mean, it feels like we, in order to get public support for these changes, because all the politicians, except for like a Paul Kress, seem to want them, but they don't, it's like the, the public support, either they think it's not there or it's not there. And I feel like there's been this huge shift in how we think about our streets, uh, you know, through this, the crisis of COVID. And I'm just wondering, you know, and then you've got Al Fresco and you've got the slow streets. Do you think that, are we a part, is there a wave that's happening where we're changing our views and can that help bring about these changes? I, I think there is. I think there's, there's three things in the pandemic that are really great uh, lessons or things that might predict the future. Um, number one, you, you already said two of them. So slow streets is a program if you had gone in January of 2020 before the pandemic and said, hey, let's put these signs and make cars slow down and do all this, it just would have been ignored. But just a few months later, when everybody was stuck at home and needed more space to recreate, especially in park, poor parts of the city, um, so Streets was born. And that literally advanced the city a decade in a few months just because of the pandemic. LA Alfresco, same thing. If you had gone and said, Let's take tens of thousands of parking places in Los Angeles on street parking, which is like the third rail of LA politics. And let's, let's reallocate it so restaurants can use it for outdoor dining. There would have been a huge uproar. But the city literally did that overnight and no one said a peep um, under the guise of the pandemic. The third thing I think is that we're realizing that we can work from anywhere. And I do think that will permanently alter traffic patterns, and I've been thinking a lot about how much that will alter them. Even if it alters, let's say between five to 10% of people don't go into the office every day in, let's say a year or two after we're really past COVID, that is a huge shift. And what that means is when LADOT does their traffic study that they have to do to figure out if they can implement a road reconfiguration and the average daily traffic, average daily vehicle volume is down five or 10%, That's a massive difference. That literally could be the difference between a road diet being approved and not being approved. So those commute patterns have changed a lot. So yeah, I think, you know, COVID is a horrible thing that I wish hadn't happened in the world, but there are silver linings 
in Los Angeles when it comes to how we think about street space. It, you bring up a really good topic, and I think that there's a couple. The 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 hard thing about being a bike advocate is there's some built-in conundrums, and one of them is what you just said. And we interviewed um, for the podcast. Um, it hasn't aired yet. An economist who tweets a lot about this, um, Daniel Marson. He's at George Washington University, and he talks about traffic. Like basically, what he would argue is. Traffic will never go away. <laughs> it's the only thing that keeps people home is more traffic. So the if you so the conundrum is that if you give something away for free, and this is the economist and him talking, people will just take it. And so you it's very hard other than doing a massive, I mean, you can price traffic out, right? That's how you do it. And you can price it progressively out too. He has a great pitch to do it progressively and not re- regressively. Um, but so if traffic is kind of LADOT, I feel like p- part of, you know, looking at this is that you're never going to, it's very, very hard to get rid of traffic. So how do you m- actually just make it so that more people are moving to where they need to get at, you know, it, in volume rather than just cars? If they're just counting cars, we're kind of always, it's always going to be traffic, right? Well, you're hitting on a really important point, which is how we make decisions in this city and literally um, fix the city, sued the city over the mobility plan and got the settlement. And if you read the settlement, the way the city thinks about road changes is literally, is it going to inconvenience drivers? And is it a little bit or a lot? And so to your point, we're never, we're chasing our tail. We're never gonna change the city if we're going to bristle or stop changing at any little minor tension or inconvenience to drivers, we're never going to change. Um, it is going to be less convenient to drive and to park, but the benefit is the buses are going to be a lot better. The biking infrastructure is going to be a lot safer and takes a lot more people to use it. Walking is going to be safer. That Those are the trade-offs and it's, it's completely worth it as a city, um, but getting getting past that thinking that we can't make any changes because there's too much traffic. I mean, we're just never going to get anywhere with that thinking. Right. So let me let me go into the good news because that was that was the not great stuff. Uh, let me start with the state again. So uh, the governor did do some some good stuff. Um, he signed AB forty three. It's a huge deal. It was Laura Friedman's bill to um, basically reform the 85th percentile rule that essentially sets speed limits based on how fast people are driving versus how fast it's safe to go on the street. And AB 43 was signed into law. It is the most significant piece of speed limit reform in decades. And the city of Los Angeles, starting in two days, is going to be able to lower over 200 miles of streets that were recently raised for no other reason but the city had to do a speed survey in order to continue to enforce speed limits and had to raise it based on the survey. So streets that went up to 40 miles an hour are going to go back to 35. Streets that went to 45 are going to go back to 40, et cetera. It's a really, really big deal. Um, AB 117, this actually wasn't signed, but the money was just inserted directly into the budget. It's a $10 million pilot program to give uh, rebates towards the purchase of e-bikes in California. It's not enough, it's, but it's a great start, and that's really exciting. AB 773, 
Um, this was Nazarian's bill to help LADOT and other large cities in California implement better and more permanent slow streets. So this will allow the city to close streets completely more easily or reduce the speed limit to 15 miles per hour and do all sorts of stuff on slow streets. And then AB 917 um, will allow uh, transit providers like Metro to put cameras on their buses and will automatically ticket any cars that are parked in bus only lanes um, during the time that it's a bus only lane. That's so those awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> those, those are really exciting. Um, some other good stuff. I mean, the permanency of slow streets, the fact that the city has said this is a permanent program. We want to expand it eventually. We want to implement it, even though they haven't done it yet. It's a really good sign. Um, just a few days ago, <clears throat> Caltrans, uh, directly from Tokes, the, the director of all of Caltrans, released new guidelines that are much, much firmer in terms of Caltrans, of mandating complete streets on state highways. Um, for those that don't know, in Los Angeles, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard between the 405 and Sentinella is a state highway. Santa Monica between the Bray and the 101 is a state highway. Lincoln Boulevard, um, south of Santa Monica is a state highway. Um, Western Avenue, south of the 405. Avalon, uh, near the central city, is a state highway. So according to these new guidelines, Caltrans will need to uh, basically provide accommodation for all road users and build complete streets when we're doing streets. There is an out, um, but it's a much, much harder bar to hit than it used to be. So I'm hopeful that this That's is going to be great. some real change. That's awesome. The Adams Boulevard road, re road reconfiguration got done this year, and there's still a few other elements, but it's basically done. It's LA's longest road diet in, I think, five years. Um, it's a couple miles, and it goes from Fairfax to, I believe, Crenshaw on Adams Boulevard. And it removed one lane of vehicle traffic in each direction, and it used that extra space to make really wide um, bike lanes. And are this, they getting used? They are getting used. There is also the usual cars using them to idle and double park and sometimes drive. So they didn't do protected bike lanes, which was they had the space for it, but it would have lost about 20% more street parking and they won't, the council office wasn't willing to do that. So that's really what it needs to become. But just the fact that we removed one lane of traffic on each side makes the streets so much safer. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of residential housing on Adams, right? In that stretch, and that's that's good for the neighbors too. I mean, because usually Adams can become like a commuter route, and putting a road diet on it reduces the amount of desirability for that as a commuter route, right? Absolutely, and the ten freeway is right there, so you don't need Adams as a second mini highway. And so, yeah, I think this is a fantastic thing for the community there. Um, some other big projects got awarded and, and funded, and some of them are already getting into the ground. Um, Avalon in South LA is a huge complete streets project, really big deal. Um, $17.5 million project that is going to put in mostly protected bike lanes and new crosswalks and all sorts of great stuff. Reseda Boulevard in the Valley, um, $20 million complete street project that got awarded and is beginning. Really exciting. Downtown LA, I mean, if you look at that pre-pandemic versus now, less than two years later, it looks like a NACTO workshop. I mean, there's protected bike lanes everywhere. There's dedicated bus lanes. 
on many streets. It's really exciting the change that have gone on there. Um, there's some new bike lanes on the west side. Uh, Manchester is getting mostly protected bike lanes. Airport Boulevard has some new protected bike lanes, thanks to Mike Bonin. Um, the Move Culver City project, which you guys mentioned before, it's a really big deal. Um, it essentially created dedicated bus lanes and protected bike lanes through the heart of downtown Culver City, extending west and east. And, you know, the sky hasn't fallen. People are still frequenting <laughs> restaurants and things in downtown Culver City. And it's, it's really just a great project. Yeah, are you that, is a, that is a huge deal because Culver City, at least in my lifetime in L.A., has been just mostly a cut through city because of Culver Boulevard um, leading to... <laughs> Venice and National and the freeway right there. And by doing this project, I think people, the people that are complaining about it um, are not realizing like Culver City has declared itself like a city instead of just a place to cut through with this project. And I think it's going to lead to more pedestrianization, more development of the business district there. And you're going to see in like, you know, three, four years, Culver City become this place, like more of a place than it already is. But I, I think it's it's going to be amazing. I totally agree because I was driving. I had to. I was taking. I was taking a route down Washington to get somewhere, not Culver City. Just drive through it, and I was like, oh my god, the traffic's terrible. So I like took a side street and went to Venice. I literally got out of their city, which is what you would want, right? To go take a bigger street and bypass the traffic. Um, but yeah, I agree that it could be incredibly, um, it could be magical. So what have you guys been tracking the reaction? Is there positive and is there anything bike advocates can do to kind of bring air support to the brave politicians who made this happen? The reaction that I've been seeing is mostly positive. There, there was a streets blog article yesterday about uh, they're they're basically dropping a bike lane for one block and making a shared bus and bike lane, which when I first saw it, thought, uh oh, they're they're sort of going backwards a little bit. But I've since talked to people at Bike Culver City, and it seems like they're actually solving uh, a mixing situation that was that that is going to be hopefully more safe with this new design than less. But yeah, overall, that was a weird that was a weird configuration because you had all three modes crisscrossing. Uh, uh, within one block twice like they they crisscrossed for like a short period of time and then they crisscrossed again a block later it's kind of weird so sorry go ahead yeah no all, all good um so overall I, I think it's positive the the all-powerful bike lobby does have a majority on the culver city city council right now so hopefully um that project continues strong a um, cu couple other things. So Streets for All, along with our partners, launched this 25 by 25 campaign, which is modeled after Transportation Alternatives NYC 25 by 25. It challenges our politicians to give back 25% of street space to people and for other modes of transportation and use by 2025. And so far, we have 26 sign-ons um, from nearly every council district, controller, mayor, and city attorney, including three mayoral candidates. 
in Council District 5, no matter who wins, will be a sign uh, someone who pledged 25 by 25 in Council District 5, which is a really big deal. In Council District 13, we have everyone except Mitchell Farrell running. So if any incumbent wins, um, I'm sorry, if any non-incumbent wins, uh, they will also be a secretary of 25 by 25. And this is a really big deal. We're going to be creating report cards for these politicians. We're going to be making proactive suggestions on uh, plazas and outdoor dining and slow streets and bus and bike lanes they can implement to meet the goal. And, you know, we're hopeful it's going to change the city. Eric Adams, who's now the next mayor of New York, a couple of weeks ago announced 200 miles of protected bike lanes in New York City in his first term under 25 by 25. So we're hopeful that we can see the same kind of momentum and push here. I feel like Eric Adams is one of the big stories that could happen in 2022. He feel, It feels like he is like, you know, a real leader in this. Does, does it feel like that to you guys? It certainly feels like that to me. I mean, I, I've been encouraged by friends in New York who are excited by him as well as by his, his pledges. So we'll see what happens. A couple other things that were fun this year, the Koreatown Block Party. So um, Streets for All uh, is supporting an effort led by the Koreatown Neighborhood Council to make 6th Street in Koreatown a plaza. Um, it's one block from Wilshire Boulevard, which obviously is a major corridor and has transit. And um, there's a ton of restaurants and it's one of the densest parts of Los Angeles. So we won a $10,000 grant and we did a pop-up demo about six months ago. And we surveyed people asking if they wanted it to stay forever. And it was over 70% yes. So <clears throat> despite the challenges that Council District 10 is going through politically, we're hopeful that um, we can see momentum next year and actually get one of LA's first plazas. I actually can't think of very many plazas. There's one in Silver Lake, that little triangle where the farmer's market is that used to be a, basically a big slip lane. Um, and there's a few others scattered around, but there's very, very few plazas in Los Angeles. So this would be a really big deal if that happened. Yeah, um, amazing. Going over to Santa Monica, they pedestrianized Main Street. Um, and they did that throughout the summer and fall. I think it's now gone back, but the hope is to bring it back again. I'd love to see them permanently pedestrianize Main Street. Um, you do have a street a block away that's um, a great Nielsen Way. That's a great through street. So... Main Street doesn't need to be as well. Um, Beverly Hills implemented their very first protected bike lane. It only goes two blocks, three blocks, but it's still a really big deal that they have their very first protected bike lanes by Roxbury Park on Roxbury. Do you um, mind, can we go back to Santa Monica for a sec? Oh, sure. They, they should be a leader in this. They are so, I mean, people don't, aren't there like, you know, it's the People's Republic of Santa Monica, like, they are, they have so, they're so attuned to climate. Of course, they will be affected by climate, in, you know, in the short term, the most. I, I don't get why they aren't, le I mean, you could literally create Copenhagen from like the beach to Lincoln. I mean, why, what are they waiting for? I think Santa Monica is not only a leader in this, but probably the best biking city in Southern California at this point. Um, they did a two-way cycle track on Ocean Avenue uh, over this past year, they are continually up. They already have a fantastic bike lane network with these green painted bike lanes. I can tell you anytime I'm cycling and I cross 
um, Ohio, which becomes Broadway and I'm at the Santa Monica border. I sort of breathe a sigh of relief because <laughs> now I've got this nice buffer for car doors that open and there's green painted bike lanes and cars drive slower. Um, they're also constantly upgrading their bike lanes. Broadway at 17th, they converted that to a parking protected bike lane. Uh, they're doing some more, more of that near SMC. So I, I actually think they are one of the you're best right. cities you're, until you're, California with this. They're doing amazingly. I guess, I guess I'm just getting, you know, I want to get to the, you know, to the, 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 the city that takes, you know, the cars out, the fast cars. I'm just, have they talked about that, you know, making Main Street permanently <clears throat> pedestrian? They, they have. So elections have consequences. Gleen um, Davis, who's on the Santa Monica City Council and has been a long time a proponent of this stuff, is now doesn't have a majority anymore. Um, she lost her majority in the latest election. And so now uh, it's sort of an uphill battle. The good news is that the city is sort of on autopilot for making bike lanes and improving road safety at this point. And it really takes an activist council member to stop it. And so far, despite the election results, um, they haven't messed with it too much. And it seems like projects are still proceeding. But, but yeah, that, that was a that was a blow last year with with that election and the people that got onto the council. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> a few other quick wins. So, uh, yeah, we talked about Beverly Hills. Uh, destruction for Nava is a really big deal. Uh, Streets for All launched this along with some other partners. Um, the point, the purpose of it was to stop all highway widening in Southern California and to instead use those dollars to improve transit and active transportation, which means biking. And we, we've had some wins. Uh, there was a motion introduced by Mike Bonin at the Metro Board called the Modernizing Highway Program motion. Um, that did pass. And that is a really big deal. Um, the head of their highway program, a guy named Abdullah, has been antagonistic towards his own board um, and towards, quote unquote, loud activists. I'll take that as a compliment. And um, <laughs> he has been bemoaning how the only way to solve traffic is to build more highway space. And, you know, this, this new philosophy isn't going to work. And he's waiting until the pendulum switches back. But Stephanie Wiggins, in one of her first moves as Metro CEO, uh, reshuffled things. And the highway program is now under operations, which is actually... I'm sorry, now under planning, which is actually a really big deal. It essentially is going to treat the highway program like just, just another mode of transportation versus its previously elevated status and autonomous status, being able to do almost anything they wanted. So I think that the wind is shifting at Metro, and <clears throat> that's a really big deal for biking because if you, know, if you look at Measure M and you ask, what did voters vote to approve? Did they vote for literally more highways or did they vote for less traffic and more transportation options along a corridor. I think it's the latter. And that's the direction that Metro's headed. And that could unlock a lot of money to upgrade uh, biking infrastructure along these corridors. They, in, in Measure M, they, they did set aside a, a large chunk for highways, right? Is there a potential for that ratio of money to shift more to... I don't know how the the legal end of it works, but can they actually shift that money over from highways to 
transit and, and active transportation? They can. There's two ways they can do it. So every 10 years, I believe, um, the Metro board, with the supermajority can actually modify the measure and parameters. So that was passed in 2016. So that opportunity will be here in four years to, to more officially do it. But what this modernizing highway program motion does is it actually um, says voters didn't necessarily say you have to widen the highway to improve transportation along the corridor? What if you make a bus only lane on the highway? What if you improve, make a BRT on an arterial to the highway? What if you make a BRT and a protected bike lane on a parallel street to the highway? Those are the type of things that you can now do. Um, whereas previously it was just about, you know, nail and hammer, the, the nail is, is uh, widening highways and the Metro highway department just kept hammering that. So that thinking has changed. And I think that's one of the biggest changes I've just seen. You know, I've only been in the bike world for like three or four years, but it's to me, the three biggest like changes that have opened up the possibilities are COVID showing us that slowing our streets down gives us our streets back, gives us our neighborhoods back. Let's our, you know, let you walk across the street. Right. Um, number two is e-bikes that like, wow, bikes can be, you know, a real transportation option in a city as big as LA. And then the third is induced demand, realizing you cannot widen our way out of this problem. The only way to go is you have to go the opposite. You have to narrow the, the lanes, slow things down and get people onto bikes and transit. Like car, we can't get there. And I, there's actually a fourth thing on the climate, which is the realization that EVs, you know, the, the phrase on Twitter is EVs won't save us. There's a problem in the supply chain. The batteries don't scale right now. You know, we can all hope for a miracle, but right now EVs won't get us there on climate. And that really gets us back to transit, which really gets us back to bikes. So I don't know, those four shifts to me, I hope tee up a huge change next year where when people just start putting the, doing the math, you start, you really quickly get to bikes. Yeah. I'm so tired of politicians getting so excited about electric cars and not really giving a shit at all about electric bikes or alternative modes of transportation. I do think that shift has to happen. Um, I'd say, I'm going to say Pete Buttigieg, at, um, the federal department of transportation is a big deal. The fact that he biked to a cabinet meeting at the White House is a big deal. But then we have President Biden <clears throat> really excited about electric commerce and, you know, basically doing donuts on a, on a racetrack with the press there, talking about how the electric F-150 and the electric Hummer is, is the future of, of stuff because it doesn't emit from the tailpipe, despite everything, all the challenges like you just said. So I really hope that thinking does change next year. Can I tell you what I think my biggest realization for the year was? Um, and I know you guys have heard me talk about this. Um, it's the speed issue. And it's this realization for me that the reason I, as a scaredy cat biker, unlike you guys, um, the reason I won't bike is because I just don't want to be afraid. And I realized this, it was sort of this combination of being in New York city and biking for a few days and they have decent bikes, bike infrastructure, way better than LA. And I almost got hit a few times and that was enough. Like I was like, I can't do this. I'm too scared. I'm sick to my stomach. And then I was talking to somebody from Metro actually on the podcast. And he mentioned that 
Portland and New York City have never gotten over 8% mode share. And I, I have not been able to sort of replicate this data, but the, the story really led to the same place, which was that, well, that's a coincidence, 8%, you know, two cities have 8% bike share. And then, but that their infrastructure, it doesn't matter how many miles they add, they can't, they're not growing their mode share, okay? And what I, this led me back to was that this guy in, up in Portland, his name is Robert Geller. He wrote an article called Four Types of Cyclists. And I'll just read you, you guys, this is gonna sound really familiar. 1% are strong and fearless, up to, then up to 8% are enthused and confident, right? And that represents the 1% is LA, you know, people, who, you guys who will bike here, and then up to 8% is New York and Portland, decent, by, you know, bike infrastructure. And then the rest of us, we just, we need the Netherlands. Like we need totally safe bike lanes. We need like, you know, Venice, um, meaning like, you know, along the beach. And once I started putting together the speed, because I think that's one of the, another like essential conundrums is that we want our cars to move fast because we're so anxious about the traffic. And it's obviously the traffic is so horrible in LA, but the minute the cars are going 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, it's not safe to bike. And then you ding out all the bike riders. So it's like this, this to me, where this all led me to is just slowing our streets down and that we need, I'd like to see bike lanes everywhere. I also want to see communities where kids can bike, where you can have an entire ecosystem where your whole family can live without a car. And like, that's where my thinking has sort of gone is like, and how to, and if it's true, right? Like, is that some messaging that has to happen in 2022? Yeah, I, I think that it's both of what you said. I think that we need to slow down cars and remove car capacity so streets don't feel like highways. Um, but the second thing, and, and the reason I think both Portland and New York. Actually, I'm, I'm less familiar with what everything Portland's done um, in terms of protected raised curb level bike lanes. I know New York has very few of those. But when you look at the cities, I mean, you said 8%, right? Look at a city like Copenhagen that has 60% of trips into the city center by bike, including in winter, including when it's raining, windy, snow, you name it. And the thing that cities that have a lot of um, people on bikes have in common is they've actually implemented the infrastructure that will keep people safe. We, we don't do that here. We, we love, for example, plastic bollards. So even <laughs> with our protected bike lanes, your, o- your only protection is a very subtle suggestion that if you look the way they market these things, one of the bullet points is won't damage a car. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, we, we need, physical protection. We need concrete curbs. We need to raise bike lanes to the sidewalk level. Why are sidewalks raised? Why don't pedestrians walk in the street with plastic bollards? No one would feel safe walking. So, you know, great point. The second class citizen thing of people on bikes and the the least expensive thing. I mean, to LADOT's defense, this stuff is so under budgeted and underfunded compared to what it needs to be. The city, you know, when you talk about a protected bike lane, the fight is usually over the space to make it. Once you win that fight, they barely have money to put in plastic bollards and the bare minimum, and that needs to change. Yeah. So um, I had one more 
win. And then I had a few, like, we'll see the last win is Sunset for All. Um, they, so Sunset for All is an effort to create a two-way protected cycle track on Sunset Boulevard, basically getting people in and out of downtown, connecting them to Echo Park, Silver Lake, Hollywood, et cetera. And they, <clears throat> first of all, it's a shame that our elected leaders in our city make private citizens do this, but they raised a lot of money and have now hired um, private people to do the initial designs, the technical drawings, the city will need to do it. So that is really exciting. And Amazing. I hope to, to ride on that in my lifetime. <laughs> um, so now there's a few things that we don't know which way are gonna go and I think we should all be paying attention to in 2022. Um, the first one is the Sepulveda Pass. And Metro right now has um, their comment period for the environmental review is open. They're considering essentially two options with different, a few different configurations, but essentially either a monorail or heavy rail. And, you know, I, every time I say monorail, I keep thinking about that Simpsons episode. <laughs> but we really, the Sepulveda Pass is the most, probably the most important mountain pass in terms of reducing cars in the city of Los Angeles. We've got to get it right. It's got to be heavy rail. Heavy rail is the only one that will connect with the rest of Metro system. That is the quickest ride by far. Um, that we don't have stops in the middle of highways. Like no one's going to want to go to the bridge over the 405 at sunset to get on the monorail. Um, so we, we really do need quality heavy rail. And we need to stop at UCLA. And I hope that Metro does the right thing. And in um, terms of heavy rail, they're, they're kind of, there's option, I believe it's five and six, where they're considering either following the 405 route mostly but underground and then hanging a right at Sherman Way I believe and heading over to uh, the Metrolink stop or option six which I'm in favor of which is just a direct tunnel connection between Westwood and Van Nuys and then continuing up Van Nuys to the Metrolink station and then on the south side someday they can extend that down to LAX potentially or the expo line. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good summary. Um, I mean, I will take any of the heavy rail options. I think they're all very good. They all have a UCLA stop. The travel time is all pretty good. I know that in the Valley and Sherman Oaks, there's opposition to having an elevated train and there's an option where it's elevated and there's an option where it isn't, obviously the cost being the main difference. But I think as long as we have heavy rail, we will have a compatible system. So in theory, one day Metro could have a train to LAX from the Valley. They could also have the same train that could go to downtown LA along the purple line. For example, you couldn't do that if you have the monorail. Um, so that's a really big, what's that? The monorail is just, it just drives me bananas. Even it's thinking it's about a publicity that. stunt. I mean, I, I think, that what I heard from inside Metro is Metro kind of has already de facto written off the monorail, but they, it's a public private partnership, the way they're doing this. And they um, want to give the monorail people a chance. It, you know, the monorail sounds better. It's cheaper. It could go all the way to LAX for the initial round, et cetera. But when you look at the trade-offs for that, um, they're pretty awful. And the political reality, like, 
people are going to resist it at every turn because you know as as far as nimbies go and so forth like they can't just put it down the 405 which would be horrible but they have to turn it off the 405 at some point you're going to get nimby resistance at all of those um, there was places. already nimby resistance in bel-air there was this kind of famous letter that the bel-air homeowners association sent out essentially i'm going to paraphrase here saying how dare metro even consider tunneling under our mountain I didn't realize the homeowners of Bel Air own the actual mountain, but that's pretty oh cool. God. Um, so that's Metro. Uh, there's a really, the really important bus project on La Brea going on right now. Metro is trying to create a bus rapid transit. I'm sorry, not bus rapid transit, peak hour bus lanes on La Brea from sunset all the way to Coliseum. It would be the longest peak hour bus lane in the city. It goes through multiple council districts. It goes through two cities, with the city of West Hollywood being the second city. Um, <clears throat> I've been pretty involved in this because I, I serve as the chair of the Transportation and Sustainability Committee at the Mid-City West Neighborhood Council, and we have a good stretch of La Brea. And uh, I actually got a, a wanted poster put up with my face on it that said, this guy is going to ruin your neighborhood. <laughs> that, those are the actual that. words. Go, oh, Michael. Page. Yeah, and that, means, that means you've won, man. Yeah. You, you got there. <laughs> it was posted at local, local shops and markets. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, it was over my support for the bus lane on La Brea and my specific suggestion that the city consider a way to make it 24-7 versus just peak hour, which... Uh, certain people in my community lost their mind and also assumed that I meant blow out all the street parking, which there's multiple ways to accomplish that, you know, to do that. But anyway, um, I mean, the really logic, the logic there of a peak hour bus lane, it's, it's like, if you can have the bus lane at peak hour, which we agree makes sense, then why, you know, when there's barely any cars on the street why is it so important to have that much space you can just keep it 24 hours you know if it works during peak hour Seriously. it should work when there's no one on the roads <laughs> right totally i i think that um yeah I, I you're preaching to the choir metro is trying to get an hour more of peak time in the morning and an hour more in the afternoon and people are freaking out about that, claiming that that's going to basically shutter every business on La Brea, because obviously the only way you can patronize a business is drive there. Um, but we need to keep an eye on this. The good news is the city of West Hollywood, they have about, I think, a half mile of La Brea through this stretch, um, unanimously passed a letter of support last week. So that gives the product some momentum, but they are getting pushback. And for all the same forces and all the same reasons and nonsense. And so I hope they hold firm. And, you know, unfortunately, Paul Koretz just got a lot more of La Brea with redistricting. And so somehow, you know, we need to get, I want to say it's five council offices to agree. Um, if I have that number right, maybe four, as well as two cities. We already have uh, West Hollywood on board, which is the good news, but we need four different council offices to all approve this. So this is amazing. Is there, do you have like big hopes for 2022? If you could like wave a magic wand, what would you like to see happen in 2022? Yeah, that, that's a great framing for uh, the rest of this Will C list. I wanna see all of this Will C stuff happen. So I wanna see heavy rail 
through this forward pass being chosen as the option. I want to see bus lanes on the Brea implemented. By the way, this could happen as early as February or March of next year. Um, I, you guys mentioned earlier the no to Pasadena BRT and the situation Eagle Rock. I want to see Kevin DeLeon approve the beautiful boulevard option, which is essentially one lane of vehicle traffic, a dedicated bus lane and protected bike lanes through Eagle Rock on Colorado Boulevard. We're going to get that decision any moment. It could come as soon as next week. Um, <clears throat> we have an effort to extend the Bayona Creek bike path east to Venice and Cochrane. A lot of great momentum there. I would love to see that project officially adopted, most likely by Metro, and apply for grant funding to get it done. LADOT has been working on implementing protected bike lanes on San Vicente. It's been on again, off again. It's really politically complicated. I'd love to see that actually get in the ground in the first half of the year. It should have been done a year and a half ago. Um, and then lastly, we have a bunch of Rethink LA. We have this program called Rethink LA that allows anyone to submit proposals for their neighborhood. What changes would they like to see on the street? And if we like it, if Streets for All likes it, we will spend time to create a before and after rendering. We'll go to the neighborhood council and try to get a letter of support. And then we'll go to the council office and try to get it to be a real thing. And we've got three pretty exciting Rethink projects that I would love to see go in the ground. Um, Hollywood Plaza is this new concept we've created in partnership with the community um, on Hollywood Boulevard at Vermont. It would be a, a new plaza for one block on Hollywood Boulevard. And there's a ton of restaurants there. There's no bus lane. So you're not taking away anything from buses. And it would really be a, a great thing. Um, La Tijera, last month, actually this month, we presented to the Westchester Neighborhood Council and actually got them to approve a road reconfiguration on La Tijera to create protected bike lanes during repaving, which is a really big deal because that Neighborhood Council, it was one of the primary forces trying to uh, recall Mike Bonin for his support for bike lanes on uh, Vista Del Mar. So the fact that they approved it was a big deal. And then Venice Boulevard, there's an ongoing effort um, between LADOT and the Palms Neighborhood Council, and we're also assisting where we can to implement protected bike lanes, essentially from the, from the 10 to the 405 along Venice Boulevard. And if the stars align, um, we may get protected bike lanes and peak hour bus lanes on Venice Boulevard um, this coming year. Wow. So... That, that's my, that's most of my wish list for next year. I think. Don, Not to mention the election, by the way. <laughs> Michael, thanks for coming on and giving us the rundown, man. Like Streets for All, I keep singing the praises of Streets for All, but I'm going to do it again. You guys are doing it. And um, I love getting the emails. It's so easy. I get an email from Streets for All. I can just click a button and email whatever pertinent politicians and bureaucrats on the other end need to hear our voices. That's great. That makes things really easy. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. So happy new year. And thanks for coming on bike talk. Lindsay, do you have anything you want to add? No, I, I agree. It's amazing what you guys are doing and yeah, everyone have a great new year to a very bikeable 2022. Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you. And let's all uh, have good thoughts for next year in this world. Stay safe.
Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, good to hear from you, Nick. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, good to hear from you too. Where are you located? Uh, I'm still in Portland these days. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and so I see you have a lot of posts on Twitter that that seem. Well, I saw a good one lately where you said, um, "You don't have seasonal depression." Oh yeah. Oh, that's been that's a big one for me because I was actually thinking of moving from Portland if I was going to be going through that again. Um, I've been here for like a few years, and the past two winters have been kind of difficult for me. Um, so you know, I I picked up a job being a courier in the summer for Uber Eats, and then I switched over to working for like Jimmy John's instead because I made more money doing that, and. Yeah. I noticed that like it didn't set it like usually it sets in around like October that that never took place. And so like I quit my job because I'm going to school full time now. Um, but I've kept up my regimen of, of bicycling everywhere I go. And it's just kind of kept me at a good level this whole time. It's been pretty good. So you have suffered from seasonal depression uh, yeah. when you haven't when you haven't biked as much. No, totally. Yeah. And, and it would get to the point where like, you know, like I would go for bike rides during this time. But like it was totally like that I have to go for a bike ride. Like, otherwise I'm like going to lose my mind type deal, you know? So uh, it's, I haven't really run into any of that this winter, which is great. It's fantastic. All right. So yeah. there it is, everyone. Yeah. I, I attribute it to bikes. <laughs> Cures seasonal depression. Yes, that's sir. a testimonial. Yep. Evidence. I believe that's evidence. <laughs> I can, I consider it evidence for myself. What are you going to school for? Uh, right now it's community development. Um, that's like the bachelor's program and hopefully depending on how things go, I'm going to be going for the master's in urban planning. Oh, great. Yeah. And I'm going to ban some cars. You're going to ban that's some cars. I'm going to ban some cars. Yeah. That's the plan. <laughs> Just some, uh, for now, you know, the whole incremental change thing does have to do its thing, mm -hmm. but we'll get there. <laughs> right on. Uh, like in cities then. Can, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was, I was thinking you had some, maybe some new year's resolutions. I, on bike Twitter, you are known as John Forrester's worst nightmare. Yeah. And, uh, do you want to explain <laughs> that? So yeah, John Forrester, he wrote the book, um, effective cycling, which basically outlines all the details of vehicular cycling and, kind of influenced a lot of our uh, decisions for making bicycle infrastructure or rather not making it because this is a giant excuse not to do so. Um, the idea being John Forrester's worst nightmare is that, you know, you make bike paths everywhere. You make everything separated for bicycles. You do what John Forrester considers coddling cyclists. You know, he thinks that if you give cyclists uh, separate infrastructure, that they're not going to be as like, aware cyclists or something like that. I have to read into more of what he wrote. Um, something like that though. And yeah, yeah I, I mean, that's basically it. I haven't been able to bring myself to actually do all the reading to understand yeah, his complete philosophy. Um, but they have been a problem for- mm -hmm. No, certainly. For getting infrastructure in a lot of places because it's never good enough. No, never. Um, okay, your New Year's resolutions. 
Nick? Yeah, no, totally. So I've got a couple. Um, first one is just to keep doing well in school and pretty straightforward. And the other one is to um, stop supporting delivery driver apps because they don't pay their workers enough and because I don't want to use cars for everything. So I figured if I want to get some takeout, I can go get it myself. It's close enough. But um, there's a lot of bike delivery. You bike deliver. Yeah, you know, when I, when I order delivery, I never get a bike guy, unfortunately. But when you work for like Jimmy John's or something, you know, they have a dedicated bicycle delivery fleet. So when you order from them, you know, you know what you're getting. You know what I mean? I, I did not know that. Yeah, but, well, um, some of them have cars, but if they're in like an urban area, usually they have a bicycle team that goes around delivering sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, there's this huge thing. Maybe that would be something that delivery apps could put put out there is, you know, we're 100% bike. Yeah, no, actually, if they had an option, at least they at least had an option where like, I want a bicycle delivery guy to, to deliver my food um i would like that that'd be cool but i don't know if there's enough people doing bicycle delivery for that to be worth like the time it takes to code all that or whatever i don't know uh i don't know all the numbers you know who does doordash (laughs) so maybe we need to talk to doordash perhaps yeah um i i am thinking of one tweet i saw from you on twitter is uh one of your resolutions is to yell at more cars (laughs) i've been quiet this year um in past years i've definitely been angry at cars but this year i've been giving them too much of a pass and i think uh there's a a middle ground between like going all out on cars and and you know not doing anything about it you know sometimes people just need to be guided a little bit and you know you don't need to you don't need to go fully off on them but they do need to like a little like hey you're fucking up check yourself you know that type of deal yeah yeah uh i just thought of a term gas holes gas holes yes plenty of those yeah i call them rumors rumors yeah rumors like boomers but rumors (laughs) okay how do you how do you spell that uh, like broom, broom, but rumors. Oh, yeah. rumors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. It's good. kind of a hard one to say. So I, I you know, I only type it. But. <laughs> All right, Nick, aka John Forrester's yeah. work, worst nightmare. I hope that your New Year's resolutions come to pass. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, thanks for having me on the show. And thank you. And uh, good luck with your school for urban planning, ultimately. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much.